And so we dwelt day and night with the truth of the body in this particular way. And what began to happen for me over time was the sense of solidity and cohesion of the body began to evaporate as the flux and the change and a more elemental kind of experience of the body began to take the place of the solidity that I once knew. It was scary, but it was also wonderful because I tasted for the first time in the practice that particular kind of joy that comes when we are living our days in closer proximity to what is true. So one night we went on an adventure which I'd like to share with you. We were all taken in the middle of the night. I don't think that they, the authorities knew about this, but all the nuns and monks were bundled into this bus and we were taken under cloak of darkness to the Department of Anatomy of a local university. And there was a little back door open. It was kind of like a James Bond movie. And we went in this little back door and we were each told to sit down beside a table. So we each sat down beside the table. Now you must remember, we'd all been living in the forest for months and months and months. You know, even a car was like a big deal for us, you know. And so all of this new stuff and this new environment was very destabilizing. So the head nun had us do loving-kindness meditation for about half an hour. So we, we all practiced loving-kindness meditation. We're sitting on these high stools. And uh, we sort of filled this huge, huge, big hall. I mean, it must have been about six times as big as this place. Then she said to us, okay, I want each of you to turn to the table next to you and I want you to unzip the great big black envelope next to you. And so I unzipped the envelope and lying next to me at eye level was this body of this woman. Of course, dead. And, you know, I was terrified. It was the first time I'd ever seen a dead body. This was in 1982. And... After the sort of initial storm of fear subsided, I was looking at this woman and looking at her profile. She had an earring in her ear, her toenails were, were, were painted and, you know, extending loving kindness to her. And the head nun was walking around and then she said to me, you know, my name was Dhammatami was my name. That's what I was called at the monastery. And, I was, uh, and she, she said to her, I want you to get up and go around to the other side of the table where there was another stool. I went around to the other side of the table, sat down, and looked at the woman, and she'd been sliced right down the middle. And so this was the first time I'd ever seen anything like this. I moved from side to side of the table, engrossed, deeply shaken, and filled with wonder. I saw that the surface of the skin, the outer appearance, what I had so resolutely identified with for so long, was paper thin and so infinitely vulnerable. In those precious hours, a part of my life changed irrevocably forever. No longer could my perception rest upon superficiality while the miraculous complexity of this woman shattered the dreams I'd carried for so long. I was encouraged by the head nun to touch and investigate the body. The ankle and the leg had been dissected, and I found that if I pulled the tendon, the toe responded. 
I felt the texture of her organs, knowing that this might be my only opportunity to experience a human body in this particular way. It was extraordinary. There was so much love in that moment for me. My mind was calm and awareness true and strong. I held her hand and extended compassion and gratitude for the lessons I'd learned. I gazed at bodies lying upside down and upright in a huge pool of formaldehyde nearby. A storm of fear subsided once again, and I reflected upon the lives of all these people. All that no doubt yearned for happiness, all had suffered, and all were now deceased. I returned to the table where my evening had begun. As I again perceived her spleen, her brain, her ligaments, the overlapping muscles and vertebra with their intricate physiological interconnections, I was filled with awe and wonder for the miracle that lay before and, of course, within me also. Within the myriad parts of the body laid bare beside me the notion that I, Gavin, might in some way be a fixed aspect of my own bodily complexity seemed ludicrous and impossible. Realization dawned upon me. My body is simply a vehicle, pure, awesome, miraculous. Hers deathly still and mine blessedly breathing for the moment. From the monastery, I came to IMS for the first time and spent many years here in different ways, doing a lot of long-term sitting. And then I went to Cambridge, lived in Cambridge, and became very friendly with Larry Rosenberg, who introduced me to the death awareness practices that we're going to do, experiment with a little today. This was a time, as I mentioned earlier, when all my friends were dying and I was really struggling to find some sense of peace and some sense of settlement within everything that was going on around me. So I've really worked with these practices for about nine or ten years now, and I'd like to introduce them uh, and use them for the remaining hour before lunch today. There are a few things about these practices that I must mention that feel important, and they are cautionary. They're not for everybody all of the time. If this is a period of your life when you're experiencing extreme emotional highs and lows, you feel perhaps a little unstable, there's certainly no reason not to experiment with them today, but it might not be a time to use them more broadly in your life. This is just a tiny little taste of them. If you do decide to use them, which I have done, I really suggest and encourage you to do so with the support of a teacher, somebody who's had some experience with these. That's important also. I would not recommend these practices for anybody that does not have a spiritual path. 
some sort of practice, whether it's meditation or otherwise. Sometimes, you know, we do something here in the context of this incredible place, and I can imagine, you know, I'm a great enthusiast. I can see myself going and telling everybody, you know, you should do these practices, you know, and then they'll look at this thing, and it could be very depressing, you know, and, and sort of destabilizing and overwhelming. So I kind of offer them to you uh, with the hope that they be respected as something that is very personal and shared very carefully with others. These are very sacred and very ancient and precious teachings and I feel deep respect for them. So use them with that caution. And we use them as with the meditation. When we were meditating there was you know, the seeing the rising and passing away of the breath and thoughts and emotions and sounds. And here too, we use them as a way of reflecting on the impermanence of things. Like the arising and passing away of a sensation in the body or an in-breath. We use the thought process here itself, creatively, in a way to develop wisdom and understanding. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to invite you to take up a particular thought and then bring it inside of you and r reflect on it, contemplate the thought. Be creative, use it in your own way. I invite you to draw on the rich tapestry of your own life to find a particular way that works for you. Be, um, be bold, be adventurous here. This is, this is our, our time for some some mischief together. You might want to use visualization or you might want to bring to mind images of people uh, that you've known or know now. From time to time it's very likely that feelings will arise and you may want to shift your attention from the phrase to a feeling in the same way as we did in the meditation. Just being present with say a feeling of of anxiety maybe, or a feeling of love, or tenderness, or, or concern, or some anger maybe, or boredom, frustration. Just being gentle and allowing of whatever arises, but using the phrase as, as a way, as like a fulcrum for the investigation of the particular words. Sort of soak yourself and saturate yourself in these phrases, and they're nine all together, and at the end of the day, Chris has very kindly made a sheet for us, so I'll be giving you all of them, but w what I'm going to do is just offer them and introduce them one at a time, rather than just giving them all, because then it's just like too many words. So what we did, and you know, we have to thank Chris for this, is he's made us these little slips of paper. <laughs> <laughs> so, so we, you know, um, you know, if you want, I mean, I was thinking a moment ago, I was thinking, oh, how could I have asked Chris to do this? This is so stupid, you know. <laughs> but it's, so maybe it's stupid, but, you know, I'm dizzy. Um, but if they're helpful, so the first one I'm going to pass around, you may want to put it in front of you. If you find yourself distracted a lot, called away, you might just want to open your eyes, reconsider the phrase. Now, what we did with these phrases was we made them personal. And 
as they classically presented, they're inclusive of everyone. So they would say, human life is ceasing, you know. And I've, I've made it personal, like, my life is ceasing. And so when we give you the full sheet, there will be a, a bit of tensing that's different, but essentially it's the same thing. And that really is the contemplation. They're designed to wake us up, and we've spoken a lot about, you know, the dream and the truth, and to engender this very precious sense of urgency that is fundamental to every spiritual tradition. The sense of how amazing it is to be alive and how important it is not to squander the opportunity that we've been given. And these phrases often will flesh out fear, particularly a fear of death, to be worked with and to be befriended and to be brought into the open. And in that sense, they're a very skillful means of coming closer to the truth that we all share. It said, and I love this, it said in the text, and you know, the Buddhist text, if any of you know them, you know, I, I know them to some extent, I'm certainly not a scholar, so there are many things that go on here that I could never present. But the Buddhist texts love to go into exhaustive explanations of the benefits of something and the pitfalls of something and there are 12 benefits and 24 pitfalls and 42 reasons to do it and 86 reasons not to do it. But anyway, the texts say that there are four very important reasons to do it. No, three very important reasons to do it. And they all have to do with counteracting arrogance. They say that these counteract arrogance. And they have to do with those heavenly messages. And first of all, we counteract the arrogance of health. Not that health is bad, but we counteract the arrogance of health by admitting the truth that we do get sick from time to time. We counteract the arrogance of the young because everyone that's born is getting older from that moment onward. So we counteract youth, the arrogance of youth, and we counteract the illusion of immortality by touching more, more truly <coughs> the truth of, of uh, our own transitoriness, the insecurity and fragility of life. So we're going to be counteracting arrogance as well together today. So I'm going to pass these around. This is our first one. You can peep. <laughs> I should have one too. There we go. So the first one is my life expectancy is uncertain. Great. It's kind of like 
those little messages in the fortune cookie. <laughs> Could you read it to me? Okay. So, my life expectancy is uncertain. So, I'd like to invite you, if you would, to again take a posture that is comfortable. And initially, again, just focus on the breathing. Take a few deep breaths. We've taken in a lot of information today. And breath is such a friend, such an ally. Breathing deeply, you may want to breathe into the heart center of your body, the center of the chest, the breast area. breath, one out breath. Together, here, now. We're not alone. Now for the next while, We'll have a good piece of time to just be quietly together in reflection. Allow the words just to echo within yourself. Take up the thought, my life expectancy is uncertain. <coughs> Allowing the phrase to move through my life expectancy is uncertain, bringing the thought inside of you. Keep breathing. You can change it around a bit into words that have more meaning. Have a sense of visualization, whatever way feels appropriate and true. My life expectancy is uncertain.
if you're getting lost in thought, you may want to just try softly, gently repeating the phrase. Whatever. Maybe ten minutes of silence now. Last few minutes. My life expectancy is uncertain. If you can return to the breathing, you want to breathe into your heart, be aware of any feelings, any emotions that there might be. Being willing to be present with the truth. One in-breath, one out-breath, together. And moving directly now into the next reflection. Everyone has to die. Or you may, if you wish, I have to die. For me, it seems that if I have a body, I have to die. I invite you to take this thought in now for the next while. Everyone has to die. If it feels appropriate, just return to the experience of breathing. It's difficult to hold the thought. There are strong feelings. Everyone has to die, including me.
keep breathing. Last few minutes. In these last minutes, you may wish to combine the two. My life expectancy is uncertain. I have to die.
my life expectancy is uncertain. I have to die. of time now is one for us to hear from one another. I invite you to bring forward anything relating to what we've been doing that you would like to share. do is after everybody's spoken just have a moment of silence I'll ring the gong and then be an invitation if there's anything further to be shared
We could close the session now, but I would like to invite anybody that would like to speak to do so. I'd hate to close without making that possible. For me, one of the hardest places to be in is that sort of in-between place where I feel in a way often that I've left what was familiar and what I thought gave me security and that I'm not quite always where I trust I'm one day going to be and it's like an in-between place where there are no signposts, where there are no real references that all I have is the love of my friends and others who are cheering me on and befriending that in-between place can be really difficult and for me often there are interludes where I feel hopeless and lost and can't figure it out and in a way that's trustworthy I try to remind myself because if I could figure it out with my head it probably wouldn't be the truth anyway and so for me one of the blessings of being together as we are today as you were saying is that we have each other to remind ourselves of all the facets of this precious diamond of being human you know we have the joy and the effervescence and we have the terror you know the interludes of terror and the times of feeling hopeless and the times of thinking of our children dying and that, you know, it's all apart and being connected um, as you, you know, you said it's so cool that we're all here today it is because we can hold each other wherever we are you know, whatever the facet whether we're tired and, and um, you know, and not feeling emotional or whether we had a great night's sleep I feel envious of that uh, a great night's sleep and you know and happy um, what a blessing you know it's lunchtime <laughs> what I'd like to ask is if we could just have a moment of silence together and during which I'd like to close with some further words from the Buddhist texts. I'm not sure if these are words attributed to the Buddha, whatever. So once again, remembering that we're here in community together. Breathing together, adventuring together. We're not alone today, and perhaps in truth we're never alone, we just think we are. considering 
what it means to be human in this beautiful world. What the Buddha said was just as an arrow shot by a skillful archer, as soon as she has pulled the string, does not wait but quickly reaches the target, so also is the life of humans. There is no moment of hesitation, no pausing, no way to turn around. This life, like the current of a great river, never turning back. With every breath we take, with every step we take, the river moves on. are the words of Kabir. He says, don't go outside to see the flowers, my friend. Don't bother with that excursion. One flower has a thousand petals. That will do for a place to sit. Sitting there, you will have a glimpse of beauty inside the body and outside of it, before gardens and after gardens. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.